Please fasten your seatbelts. The skies are rough and our two pilots have no idea where they're going. So kick back, relax, and enjoy your flight on no blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. No blackout dates. Why are you traveling with so many valuables in the first place? I don't even lock my car. You think I'm gonna lock my camera in a safe in a hotel room? Honestly, like if I put my passport or something in the safe, I'm afraid I would forget that I put it there and leave the hotel without it. I don't even have any valuables. What's it like to have valuables, Tim? Honestly, if a thief is willing to come into my hotel room, rummage through my suitcase, and find my passport, credit to them. They're welcome to have it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of No Blackout Dates. My name's Tim. And I'm Eben. We got a good one for you today with our new friend, Joanne Flynn Black. Joanne is a wearer of many hats and a person of many talents. She's the founder of a company called Launch Before, which helps creatives and entrepreneurs launch their products and businesses. She's a travel writer that runs an online community for writers. We're going to talk about that. She's a former employee of WeWork who lived through the crazy up and down cycle uh, that the company went through that is documented in the film We Work, The Making and Breaking of a $47 billion Unicorn. And she's also an Airbnb host, so we're going to talk a little bit about Airbnb, which I know is a subject near and dear to Matador Network's heart. So we're going to get into a whole bunch with her, but first we've got what I think is going to be our best hot takes section yet. Are you ready, Evan? I'm ready. You're setting a high bar. Right, so... My first lived experience hot take for you this week. Uh, I don't know if you get like text flight alerts when you're about to fly that, you know, provide updates from the airline or whatever. But about a week and a half ago, I got a text message from United that said, my upcoming travel plans might be impacted by bad weather in the Rocky Mountains. And I was like, oh, God, that sucks because I do have a flight coming up tomorrow, actually. Uh, And we are in the middle of winter. So then... A few days later, I get another text that says, your upcoming travel plans to the Northeast region might be impacted by bad weather. And I was like, I'm not going to the Northeast region. Like, why are I'm, I'm actually going west. I disregarded both of these messages. The day of Tuesday of last week, I start getting texts like, your, your flight is boarding. You, your, your flight to New York is boarding now at gate B37. And I went into a five-minute moment of panic, like, am I supposed to be flying somewhere out of Denver right now? Because I am not at the Denver airport. I'm, in fact, working. Uh, So I'm, like, going through my emails, having a moment of panic, like, I'm not traveling anywhere today. Like, what is going on? The next day, it happens again. I get another one that's a flight from New York to London. So... What obviously has happened here is that somebody put in the wrong phone number. You know, I have a Denver area code, so I'm getting their text messages for their flight. But it's kind of funny to watch this progress because then, after the flight to London, I get a text from United that says, your bag did not arrive on your flight. Please see the customer service rep in the baggage department at Heathrow Airport. And I'm like, oh, man, this guy's life sucks now. Uh, And it got me thinking about losing luggage on the plane and how much I sympathize with this person. And I'm curious if that's ever happened to you, Evan. Losing luggage on the plane? Yes. Has has an airline ever lost your luggage? And what was the story of that? No. And you know why? Well, I know that you don't ever check a bag. There you go. Answer your own question. (laughs) 
Uh, no, I've never lost my... I've checked my bag maybe three times ever, and I've never lost it. I do feel as though my bag always comes out last, and I feel like everyone kind of thinks feels that way. Like, when you're waiting for the your bag on the carousel, you always have that moment of fear that, oh my god, it's been... Every other person on this plane's luggage has come out, and mine hasn't. Why not? Is it lost? What's going on? And then it's always the last, or seemingly the last luggage that comes out is yours. Is it the last bag, or is it just the last bag that you paid attention to? It was the last bag I paid attention to, but I mean, I, I will sometimes be one of the last people waiting. Like, everyone else has, has gotten their bag and left, and I'm like one of the few people that's still waiting. So I'm given to understand that I'm, it's one of the last bags, yeah. Fair enough. I mean, I, I feel that way too, and actually I felt it so strongly a couple of years ago that I did a story where I called the baggage department at multiple airlines to ask what the procedure is on bags. Like if you're in first class, do you get your bag first before the coach class does? And nobody had a definitive answer for me on that. But what it came down to was how it's loaded on the plane. So if you check in early, you're more likely to get your bag late because it's probably among the first bags being put onto the plane. Therefore, it's at the back of the uh, bay. Ah, interesting. Yet another reason to get there late. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you you definitely have an advantage there as a late airport arriver. Um, but yeah, it's it's just interesting. And I, I hope this guy got his bag back in London because that sucks to arrive at an international flight without all your stuff. So my next one for you today is uh, from today. In fact, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. Eben, I've taken two COVID tests today already. So I can confirm to you with 100% certainty, almost 100% certainty, that I do not have COVID right now. COVID the free. reason this happened is a result of my own anxiety. So as I've discussed on the show multiple times, I have not traveled abroad in two years. I'm traveling abroad tomorrow and have to provide negative tests, obviously, to, to board the international Relax, flight. Tim. It's Canada. It's not abroad. Go on. Canada just loosened their regulations, <laughs> though, but you still, have to, you still have to have that. But I, I took a test on Monday— the results have not come in still, so I panicked and I went at 7 a.m. this morning to get a rapid test uh, at the at the test site. But I was so nervous that I was not going to pass the rapid test that I took one of Biden's home tests before I left my house to prove that I was negative before I went to take the test that actually counted. And I'm curious whether I'm crazy or whether you've actually done that too. No, I before I went on the cruise that I went on a few weeks ago, I you had to test negative at the terminal, like right before you board to be allowed to board. And I considered testing myself before I flew to Miami just so I didn't fly there for nothing and then somehow test positive. But I didn't for whatever reason. I have like four tests at home and I definitely could have and probably should have. But no, I, I didn't do that. It's kind of funny. I always wondered what happens when you have like a family that's going on vacation, going on a cruise, and you have to, everyone has to test negative at the terminal to be allowed to board. What do they do with someone test negative or someone test positive? Oh, sorry guys, your vacation's ruined. Do they refund you? Do they put you up in a hotel? Like what happens? I don't think anybody does anything. If it's your fault, you might be able to get refunded for like the trip, but I, I don't bet think you they're get gonna a credit. Like... Yeah, yeah, not like your flights, but I bet you get a credit. I mean, that sucks. Like that's, because like I had had COVID fairly recently and, knew that I wasn't going to have it, but not everyone's had it. And, you know, even if you haven't had it, you could be completely asymptomatic and still have it and test positive and be like, well, I feel 100% fine, but I now can't go on my vacation. It's like, I don't know. It's it's crazy. 
Yeah, and, you know, of course, like, I'm psyching myself out before these tests. I'm like, oh, man, like, do I have a throat ache? Uh, am I, yeah. do, I have an un- do I have a headache coming on? Oh, God. Oh, no. You know, and I'm fine. Of course, I'm fine. But I'm, like, psyching myself out. But then, I, you know, I passed three tests this week. But I, I have multiple relatives uh, coming from multiple parts of the world flying back to the States in the last couple of weeks that have tested positive before boarding their return flight and had to delay returning home. I was a lot more worried about it, the fan, the phantom COVID, when I, the phantom throat ache or whatever, when I hadn't had COVID yet. Every time I got a tickle in my throat, I was like, I have COVID. I have it. This is it. And it, it never was. Uh, and then when I actually did get it, now, now since then, I'm like, okay, well, I don't think about it as much. I'm not as paranoid. Yeah. And I'm nervous about it because the, you know, I'm flying up to go on a, on a heli ski trip in BC, which the, tourism agency is sending me on and that's it's a ten thousand dollar trip if all of a sudden i don't show up because i tested positive the day before my flight like if i were them i would be pretty upset at me if that happened you know right even if it's not your really not your fault you know you're not actively like going out trying to get covid but i don't know glad you're glad you're negative tim glad you're double negative but you know what they say about double negatives double negative equals a positive yeah two Mm. you know two slashes can make a plus that's how pluses are made all right I got some hot takes for you. First one is, is karaoke bullshit? No, I like karaoke. I've had some great times singing karaoke. Okay. Yeah, no, I figured that'd be your answer. I mean, have you ever have you ever been to Vietnam, Evan? Like, there's a karaoke bar in every corner of Vietnam. Like, <laughs> That's there, not, there are, not what I thought you were going to say. There are places in the world where karaoke is an absolutely integral part of people's daily lives. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, do you think karaoke is bullshit? Have you ever been to Vietnam? Uh, okay. So I, I've never been a huge karaoke guy. I've really only done it a few times and I was in Miami for, as we just talked about for one night before going on a cruise and I'm with my friends and we're like, all right, we'll probably, we'll probably go out and have like a drink or two, whatever. It's a Saturday night in Miami. Might as well. Seven hours later, it's four in the morning where I'm like 10 drinks in and I find myself at a karaoke bar. And I again, I like I really don't do karaoke, but this is like a pretty fun bar, pretty fun vibe. Everybody doesn't do karaoke until you're doing karaoke. No, exactly. Well, no, some people like. My friend loves it. He was like, begged me to go there. He would have done it sober. He just loves karaoke. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll go. I'll go for you. We can go. And I'm like, I'm like, I probably won't do it. And if I do do it, I'll do it with my friend. So we'll do like a duet, make me feel more comfortable. And so we get there and people are singing and they're just really bad. Like they're just not good at singing and they're kind of ruining songs that I really like. And in that moment I was thinking, why, why is this such a popular, th- I get why it's fun to do karaoke, but cause you're like a rock star, you know, you have the stage and there's like the, you know, the whole crowd of people dancing. It's like, you feel cool, but why is it fun to listen to karaoke? You just get to hear people that can't sing, just ruin your favorite songs. And I say that before I got up and completely ruined What's My Age Again (laughs) (laughs) by myself. So my friend, who he went up and did some song, and I was like, oh, do you want me to come with you? I I know that song. I'll do it with you. He's like, "Mm, no, actually, I kind of just want to do my own thing. I'm like, you drag me to this karaoke bar, do karaoke, and you won't even let me do it with you because he thinks I'm going to like cramp his style. Not that he's a good singer or anything. You probably would have. You would have cramped his style. He just though. wanted the stage to himself. I was like, I can't believe this kid. Like, he brought me to this karaoke bar only to tell me that 
he doesn't want me on stage with him because he he like needs the stage to himself. So I, I he's like, oh, do you want me to come with you for the Blink One Eighty Two song? I'm like, no, no, I got I got it. I'm gonna do it myself. You did your song yourself. I'm doing my song myself. So that's the first time I think I'd ever done karaoke completely solo. And I got up there and I was like, oh, I'm pretty comfortable. I know this song really well. And then you hear yourself singing into the mic, and you just hear how bad you are. And I just felt so. And I had fun, but I felt so terrible for everyone in the audience that had to listen to me. And I felt bad that I was butchering one of my favorite songs. And I, it just made me think in that moment, like, I can't believe people are putting up with me right now. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, your story of this is like the most perfect karaoke story ever because I feel like 90% of karaoke singers didn't begin their night intending to sing karaoke. It's just like one of those things where your night just gets dragged on and it gets a little bit more out of control than you thought it would. And all of a sudden you're on stage singing, what's my age again at three in the morning. Well, and then fast forward an hour and you're duetting whenever, wherever by Shakira with some random person you met at the karaoke bar. So that's nice. But but at that point, the crowd was a lot thinner. So there was a little less pressure. Yeah. That's, those are the best ones though. I, I, I used to work at a restaurant at a ski resort uh, many, many years ago, and we did karaoke one night a week. And one of the other guys that worked there, we would kamikaze karaoke each other. So we would sign the other person up for a song, and you'd go up having no idea what song you're about to sing. And it was always like the worst song. Like you go up there and you're singing like Savage Garden or something like that, you know, it's, and it's just a complete embarrassment for everybody. It just sucks. Some people, some people kill it. They get up there and kill it, and the crowd loves it. And you're like, "Oh man, I want to be like them." And you get up there, and you, you just hear yourself sing, and you, you're so just off tune, and you can't fix it. You can't do anything about it except continue for another three minutes, and it's just agony. And the best is the people that think that they're killing it, but they actually are just really drunk yeah. and they're terrible. But it's kind of like dancing. It's not really about whether you're good. At dancing, it's about whether you're having fun and whether you're into it. So even if you suck at singing, if you're into it and you have a good stage presence and you're excited and have a good energy, I think people still enjoy it. All right, next question. What are your thoughts on sharing food at a restaurant versus getting your own? So ordering like a few dishes for everyone to at the table to share versus everyone getting their own meal. I, I'm usually more inclined to just get my own meal. I don't know. Like I... I understand like how, you know, sometimes like Boca de Peppa, for example, is like an Italian chain that that's their whole model is like you get like these big plates and everybody has some. But to me, like I then always feel pressured to make sure that I get enough food. So I'm like, then I feel like I'm taking too much. And then I'm like, what well, does everybody like hate me because I'm eating too much? Or am I, yeah. am I hogging one dish because I don't like the other dishes? Like, I don't know. I'd rather just get what I want. Yeah. No, I, I feel the exact same way. I, and I like trying everything. Like, I don't mind, like, giving someone a sliver of my food in exchange for theirs just so I can try something. But I, I've i learned that I really don't like sharing. I don't like sharing everything. So on the cruise, we there's this guy who <laughs> – this guy from Utah, really nice guy. And his thing was let's just get – you know, and you go to these restaurants on the cruise. So every night, it'd be our group of media people, and we would all you could order whatever you want, as much as you want, pretty much. And he would say, "Well, instead of everyone getting their own dish, why don't everyone sitting at his end of the table? Let's all order one of every entree and just pass it all around between us, so we can all try everything." 
And on the surface, that sounds like a good idea. I didn't sit at his end of the table for most of the trip intentionally because I didn't want to do that. <laughs> and uh, at the at the last night, I ended up sitting across from him. And so he's like, all right, what do you say? Like, we, we, we doing the sharing thing? And I'm like, I don't want to be the only one saying no. So I'm like, all right, fine, we'll do the sharing thing. So we order one of every entree, like the six people on our side of the table. And there's sea bass, there's salmon, there's veal tips, there's uh, clam chowder, um, there's talk, there's all this different stuff. How do you share clam chowder? Oh, there's there's a way. I wanted the salmon. That's I knew that's what I wanted. I wanted salmon. I didn't want any other stuff. I kind of I was curious to try like maybe one or two little slivers of some some other things. I didn't want that as my meal. I wanted the salmon, but I didn't. I was you know I didn't want to be the contrarian, so I went with it. And you spend the entire meal passing plates around, trying to figure out how to segment dishes in a judicious way, making sure that you're getting enough of what you like without taking too much. And it was just really stressful. And I, I decided that I fucking hate it. And yeah. I think it's a really bad idea. You can't talk to anyone. You can't relax and enjoy your meal. The entire yeah. time you're getting given plates by other people. You're passing plates to other people. You're segmenting stuff. Your plate is a mess of like all these different things, some of which you don't even like. And I, I just I, I think it's dumb. I just don't like it at all. Meanwhile, the other end of the table is sitting and eating their meals that they actually ordered, that they actually wanted and being able to actually chat with each other and have a relaxing meal. Yeah, if there's any way to ensure that no one is happy with the restaurant experience, it's by doing exactly that. Yeah, yeah. And it it was like this community bonding thing, so you felt like you kind of had to participate. But I've come to the conclusion that it's just an absolutely terrible idea, and I'm never doing it again. Yeah, sometimes you don't want to bond. Sometimes you just want to chill and eat. Or bond by talking to people and by sitting with your meal that you ordered that you're enjoying and speaking with people, not by trying to play this juggling act with a million plates all dinner. Nope, I think we're on the same page on that one. And uh, with that, we'll get into it with Joanne. We'll see you on the other side. Okay, we're here with Joanne Black. Joanne is the founder of Launch Before, which helps creatives and entrepreneurs launch products and online businesses before they think everything is perfect and ready to go, just when it needs to happen. She also helps people launch communities on Mighty Networks and, in fact, runs her own community for travel writers called Writers Who Wander. Joanne, welcome to No Blackout Dates. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, it's it's funny that we were just introduced, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago and had a little chat. And I, I was fascinated by your background. You've done a lot of pretty cool stuff. Uh, in particular, I want to start with 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 the craziness of WeWork. I know a lot of us have seen uh, the making and breaking of a forty seven billion dollar unicorn, which chronicled Adam Newman and the and the and the story of WeWork. Right. But I, I, I'm curious what all happened? You were around for some of that stuff, some of the festivals, you know, the beers at the office, the general culture of WeWork back in the day. Right. What was the overall feeling like to be there uh, when it was on its rise? Yeah. Um, well, I was there for, for two years uh, back in the day before it got um, kind of regulated and got very serious. Um, so it honestly, like when people came to visit me, uh, they would walk in 
And their first reaction was, is anyone working here? <laughs> because it just looked like a big party. Um, but we were actually working. We were working pretty hard. Um, so it was definitely the, you know, working hard and, and partying harder uh, type of atmosphere there. So explain this to me. So for people who don't aren't familiar, we were sort of co-working spaces. So people basically pay and they can use it as an office for however long they want. And they have office amenities. And but what set we work apart, they were kind of at the forefront of this uh, this new trend. There would be parties. There was a whole culture, and it would be people would come to the WeWorks to not just work, but to kind of hang out. And WeWork itself, the company, would have would host parties and festivals. Is that correct? Yeah, it I, it was almost that. Um, well, the in the office, pretty much everything was a party. Like for example. Uh, you know, uh, May 4th, you know, may the 4th be with you star Wars day. There was a party for that, you know? So it was like a party for, for anything you could dream of. Um, and when I say party, I mean, people would, were handing out like, um, star Wars lunch boxes and, and just being like crazy Darth Vader was there and it, it was super fun, but outside of the office, uh, they were also known for um, their amazing summer camps and uh, their amazing summits that we did every year. So the summer camp was uh, about a week long event where we went to literally a summer camp. Um, one was uh, locally uh, here and for the first year I went and then the second year was actually in uh, in England. And and basically the whole entire company shuts down and they literally sent us to have fun at a summer camp to to bond and and make new friends and and just celebrate what we did and the amazing thing that we accomplished uh you know during the year. So it was definitely a highlight for us to be able to go to a summer camp and and take a break from the the craziness of uh, of all the work we ha we were doing, you know, during the year. I'm curious, you know, after watching the movie, uh, was there any ever any kind of a sense internally that like, you know, maybe there's a lot of hype and not a lot of meat to some of this? Or was it all, did it seem, did it seem like it was true, everything that was happening? Um, you know, I mean, of course, people were we're wondering, you know, about the crazy valuations that were happening, right? We weren't that like, oh wow, this is this is all fun. Forty seven billion dollars. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there was there was definitely some people who worked there, I, I don't know about everyone, but at least some people who worked there were were wondering, you know, can this stay up? You know, can if we if we go public, what will what will happen? And you know, people weren't like blind to it. People were, were definitely, it was in the forefront of our mind too. Cool. Well, uh, yeah. one of the other things I really wanted to talk to you about uh, in particular is hosting an Airbnb because I would imagine most of our listeners, uh, Evan and I included, have stayed in a fair amount of Airbnbs, um, both you know in cities, rural areas, around the world and whatever. But I'm always curious what the hosting experience is like. Uh, how did you make the decision to do this and what does it take? Yeah, no, that's a, a great question. So um, I've been going for years to uh, a town which is upstate New York uh, in the Hudson Valley, uh, um, 
visiting a friend and and also renting places. And uh, it turned out that a friend of a friend had a cabin and she wanted to sell it to us. So, um, you know, part of me was like, wait, can, can I afford to have this second, a second home? Right. Like that was a big, you know, kind of crunching the numbers, but I knew that, Hey, wait, if I, if I can Airbnb it, even once or twice a month, it will, it will pay for the expenses. So I decided I'm going to put the cabin up. I'm going to buy the cabin, put the cabin up for, for on Airbnb. And it turned out that it not only paid the expenses, but it paid the mortgage and then sometimes, you know, double the mortgage or more. So yeah, it was, it's been an amazing experience. Um, I ha- I've been um, super host, uh, which is what basically what Airbnb uh, signifies as uh, people who get high ratings, uh, they never cancel, and, um, and they have a certain number of bookings per year. They get the title of super host. And so that's something sometimes... you have to actually earn because you see that when you're on the site, yes. you see super host or you see like Lux or whatever it is. But I've always been like, well, I mean, can you just opt in to say that you're that? <laughs> no, you can't. It's 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 very serious. They 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 assess it every quarter. So every quarter, if you don't have at least four point eight star rating, you lose your super host status. And so that's why, you know, when you go and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll just give that person three stars. The hosts are like, oh, my God, you just wrecked my super host status. You just ruined my month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've been uh, super hosts for um, 19 quarters. <laughs> so um, they've 19 consecutive quarters. So they assess it every quarter. I've made 19. My goal is to hit 20. I, I hope I hit 20. That assessment's going to be in April. What's the single most annoying thing that guests do in Airbnbs that they don't realize they're doing? I, I'm having a hard time answering that because honestly, like, I and I, I don't want it to sound like, oh, every guest is like perfect, but I, I our guests are, are really amazing. Um, I think maybe all right, I do have I have one thing that um, sometimes at, as a host, we don't hear from guests like they never tell us they checked in. They never you know said anything. And then they leave and we're like, you know, did they enjoy their time? And then they wind up giving us a five star review and saying it was a perfect experience they had. So at, at least initially, I was was always concerned with when someone didn't say, hey, we checked in and everything's great, or we checked in and this is this is um, this is not great, like, but at least some communication. So you host a community for travel writers on Mighty Networks called Writers Who Wander. I'm curious if you can provide a description of what the hell Mighty Networks is because I've been in a community on there before and I I thought it was fine but I didn't really get the difference between why it wasn't just like a Facebook group or something like that. So first of all uh, Mighty Networks it's like having your own entire network to yourself uh, without 
without ads, uh, without interruptions. You know, how many times have you been in a Facebook group and all of a sudden you see that your aunt posted a cat video and then you're, you know, you're gone, you've left that group. Or you might be on Facebook and you've just read something, you know, political or something that upset you. And then the next minute you're in the group, like said, let's say you were in my group, you could probably come in hot, right? You probably come in kind of pissed off or mad or, you know, so you might not have the, uh, the feeling like, oh, I want to be in Launch Before, I want to be in Writers Who Wander. So the difference is, with Mighty Networks, you're, you're choosing to come to my community, right? You're saying, okay, enough with all the stuff that's happening over here. I want to come in and I want to, I want to go to, you know, Tim's community and, and talk about, you know, uh, traveling or in the, in the outdoors. And so the people who are there are really only there to, uh, to read your content. Um, you know, the other thing is there's no ads uh, there's no creepy privacy issues where you know that everything you're you're searching or typing, uh, someone is watching, right? There's there's none of that. It's like having your own your own space. I mean, people have told me that you know my community is like a sanctuary. When they come in, they just feel like, oh, okay, I'm here. It's it's I'm only here for one reason, and that's to hear what you're saying or 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 make um, connections with the other people in the community or learn something. Well, Tim, you're you're part of a few like writer communities, aren't you? Um, yeah, I'm I'm part of a couple. Uh, yeah, writers writer communities, you know, remote worker communities, stuff like that. It's I've always found it to be good for like, you know, if you're traveling and someone is in the place you're being or you're going you've got somebody to go out for beers with or meet for coffee or whatever that the networking to me is the perk of those things yeah i was going to ask because i've never been in one or considered being in one and i was wondering is it a, is it a professional networking perks is it like sharing work is it getting press trips is it just making friends so i guess that's a good good to know i think it, it kind of depends and you, you could correct me if i'm wrong here joanne but i, I think People sometimes will join a community and will be disappointed because nothing amazing happened to them. Uh, And that's largely because they didn't put any effort into making connections in that community or to pursuing what the community's Mm -hmm. purpose is. Mm -hmm. I think that the you actually have to like try you have to try to put the pieces together and make something of it for yourself. I want to go back really quick to uh, to the co-working thing is this is something Tim and I talk about a lot. And I've never been able to successfully have a good co-working space experience. I've never seen the value in it. And Tim is a huge co-working space guy, so we argue about this a lot. And I, I guess <laughs> I, I and, I, and you're in a co-working space right now, as we speak. I'm in a co- I was going to say I'm in a co-working. Right, yeah. so it's, it's fitting. And I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on what sell to sell me on why. I should do co-working because I, I understand the value that they say they bring. And I just, I don't see it. I see it as people who work remote have the benefit of the flexibility of being able to work from wherever they want. They can sit at home all day and save money on going, commuting into an office. They can go to a coffee shop. They can do wherever they want. Why pay money to go to an office when the whole perk of your job is that you don't have to go to an office. 
Yeah, so I am in the co-working right now, as we mentioned, this is uh, NMAS co-working in uh, Morristown, New Jersey. And um, th- for me, this is why I love it. So if I'm at home, I could be doing this at home, right? I, I have a blank wall and everything I need to to do this. But uh, what happens is when I'm home, I get distracted, right? I say, like, oh, well, let me just throw a load of wash in. Uh, let me, let me uh, check the mail. Let me do that. And so I'm not focused so much on work. When I'm here at the co-working, there's nothing else I need to do except work. So I feel more focused um, would be like the first reason. The second reason is I get to meet lots of interesting people and they get to meet me as well. And so I might meet someone and I tell them what I do and they say, oh, you know, I I know someone who wants to do that. I'll, I'll, I'll link you two together. So there's, there's always these like amazing networking experiences that you can have. Um, if you're in a co-working and, and it's just, I I don't know, for me, it's just more fun. I don't come every day. You know, some days I do want to just hang out in my house and, you know, wear my sweatpants and not worry uh, what's happening out in the world. But, but other days I I want to put on, you know, clothes and, and get, get here and, and feel like I am in a, in a space where other people are working. You kind of get that energy of like, everyone's creating, everyone's working. I don't know, Tim, like, do you have any other, I mean, sounds like we might be on the same page about co-working. And I know that Evan is like, I want to be in my house. <laughs> it's good to have somebody on the show that's pro co-working because every time we've brought this up with a guest, I'm by myself in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. But I, for me, it's, it, it's, it's twofold. A, most practically, I live in a small town with crappy Wi-Fi. Uh, so going to a co-working, like I can't do this video three-way call at my house. The Wi-Fi is just not good enough. So it gives me better Wi-Fi, A. But two, I've met, you know, as a freelance writer, numerous clients at co-working spaces over the years and made thousands of dollars that has offset all of the money I've ever spent on co-working. So there's that aspect of it, too, um, where if you're not looking for that, you know, and like now, you know, I'm not here looking for that right now, but like there have been times in past points of my career where, yeah, I really need to bring on another client or something right now because I'm not making enough money. So there is that angle sometimes that you can play. And a co-working space puts you in front of people that uh, uh, approach work in a similar way and need the things that you provide. Like everyone that runs an online business needs a copywriter at one time or another. Yeah, the thousands of dollars thing is tough to argue with. Uh, The only thing I would say is I understand how a co-working space attracts people who are digital nomads, remote workers, who are more likely to do what you're doing. Uh, my question would be, how is it different from a coffee shop? So I don't like sitting at home either. Like I don't, I don't like sitting on my on my couch all day. But there's a few coffee shops in town. I'll go to them for two dollar coffee. I can sit there or whatever three four dollar muffin. I can sit there all day. Every the same people go there every day. Same as a co-working space, and they're all remote workers. And so instead of paying hundreds right. of dollars a month, I for a fraction of the cost can go to a coffee shop where it's not an office environment. So I understand there might be more more distraction, but it's a similar clientele. And if you don't like the clientele there, if you're not getting the kind of remote work networking you want there, go to the coffee shop down the street. If you don't like it there, go to the other coffee shop. So it's I, I feel like you can get the same 
networking benefits if you really want right. them at a coffee shop for a fraction of the price than you can for co-working. And that's always been my, I guess, counter argument. Yeah, well, I can, my counter to that would be, you know, could you do this podcast, you know, at a, at a, a coffee shop that's, that's noisy mm. and, and, and you can't be talking. Nope, um, I, cannot. I know that I'm, yeah, I'm on Zoom a lot and I wouldn't feel comfortable having a Zoom conversation where my voice might be louder than normal and there's people around me, you know, at a coffee shop. If I if I wanted to if I needed to write something, I could absolutely 100%, you know, go to a coffee shop. Um but sometimes, you know, that's it's it's loud and there's it's disturbing and there's, you know, like here I'm in a phone booth, it's soundproof. Um I could I could talk as loud as I want, and no one's gonna be like looking at me saying, "Hey, be quiet over there." Right. I I think the and the one last thing I would add is that I've you know right now I'm I'm at home you know I'm you know I'm not traveling but my best co-working experiences and when I've taken the most value out of co-working spaces has been when I'm traveling somewhere particularly traveling somewhere long term like. Bali or something where I'm going to be for a while. I want to meet people. I want to make friends. I want to be able to go out to happy hour after work, but I don't know anybody. And a co-working space immediately puts you in with other people that are in your same boat. All right, you guys, maybe I'll give it another shot. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> it's, it's, I always go back and forth. Every time I talk to Tim, I'm like, ah, oh, co-working sucks. Then we talk about it. And I'm like, ah, maybe it's got a point. I don't know. We'll see. I have my moments with you, Evan, because my co-working yeah. space just raised the rate 50 bucks a month. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, come on. It's already 150 bucks, you know, but like, whatever, you know, I pay it. It's all about the people. You know, if the people are worth it, if you're really meeting people that are cool, then and it's worth, you know, you want to hang out with them. They're good right. business connections. Then it's totally worth it. But if you're not and there's not as many people that go to the co-working space, then what are you paying for? You're paying to go to an right. office every day. So I think the debate will rage. <laughs> I, the other day, uh, the co-working here had um, taco lunch for everyone, right? It was just to just get everybody together and we, we ate tacos. And I was sitting at a table where um, one woman had a, a dog walking service. Another woman helped people, uh, specifically women, get um, the salary that they deserve. And another woman worked for company in procurement. And, and we had the best, like we probably wouldn't have met in normal circumstances. Like they, they probably would be in different orbits than I am. But we had the greatest conversation and, and we had so many connections and and we left just feeling like oh that was a, a great networking thing where we were just you know sitting down and eating our tacos and having a conversation with you know three other women who just happened to be you know sitting down at the same time um and the other thing evan i mean i'm not, i know this might not be you know a big thing but um uh, tim i don't know about yours but you know there's free coffee here there's free tea there's snacks um, so I could argue like you're probably when you go to the Starbucks or the coffee shop, you're probably spending, you know, a little bit of money every day. And so if you kind of say, well, I, I haven't gone to Starbucks because I'm drinking the coffee at the co-working, um, kind of, it's maybe evened out a little bit. There is free coffee. I don't, I'm not a <laughs> coffee guy. If there's free pizza, then we can talk. Mm. But right, right. That, that coffee not doesn't quite do it for me. As Free as pizza. you can see by Evan's shirt, he's a pizza fan. 
<laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There. All right. So there. If my conditions are met, I can become a co-working guy. That's it. I, I have my. <laughs> I have my conditions. I have my criteria. It's, it's the, the door is open. The door is open. Balls right. in your co co-working community. Yeah. And like speaking of coffee, when uh, you know, when when I was at WeWork, um, in the corporate office, we would have there was a coffee bar and a full-time barista who was awesome, and he'd make us coffee. And one day, my writing uh, writing instructor came to see. I said, "Come, come, stop by WeWork. Come see what it's like here." It happened to be St. Patrick's Day, so they were not only making coffee, coffee. They were also making Irish coffee. So we got to uh -huh. sit and and talk about writing over uh, over a free Irish coffee uh, while working. That's that forty seven billion dollar valuation right there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly all right joanne well thank you so much for joining us uh where can people find you um well i they could find me at uh launchbefore.com it's launch the letter b and the number four and uh they could find me there um i also have that uh, same handle on instagram and and facebook as well um would love to connect with anyone who's uh, thinking about uh, creating a community, um, also who's, who's ever interested in being in a community with writers, uh, who, you know, sometimes as writers, we just feel like we need to be alone and we're always we're writing, but there's, you know, lots of people who are in the same boat and they want to connect with others. Um, so, uh, they could join the writers who wander as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day, Joanne. All right. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. All right. Here we are in News of the Day after a nice chat with Joanne. Thank you so much for coming on, and check out her community launch before. Evan, the first news story I want to talk about, not so much a news story, more of a, a how-to, uh, how to protect your valuables while traveling. Uh, written by a writer from Matador, Gillian Broste. Uh, she provides a lot of useful tips, and it's funny because, I don't know about you, Evan, I've never used the safe in the hotel. Um, and she talks about in this article, you know, A, minimizing what you bring and locking the rest up in the safe, splitting up and hiding your cash and cards in different places, uh, keeping your camera safe, keeping your videos safe, and ensuring everything that you bring, all of which is good things to do. But it also begs the question of why are you traveling with so many valuables in the first place? I don't even have any valuables. What's it like to have valuables, Tim? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I you know I always have my laptop with me and my phone and my passport. I guess those are the three valuables. And if I'm traveling, if I'm on a snowboard trip, I'll have my gear. But you can't really put a snowboard in a safe. So I, I, don't, what, I don't know what I'm supposed to do there. I don't even lock my car. You think I'm going to lock my camera in a safe in a hotel room? Come on. I always wonder who uses these things when I go into the hotel. It's like, oh, here's your safe. It's like, what am I going to put my the family jewels in the safe that I'm traveling with? Like, what are people? I, I understand if like women have really expensive jewelry that they want to wear on a vacation, and they don't want to just leave strewn about the the bureau of the hotel. But can't you just put? To me, if I'm traveling with anything valuable, which at at most is like a GoPro, maybe a laptop. Just put it in your backpack. Just put it in your suitcase, right? Isn't that easier? Just zip it up, put the backpack in the corner. I guess if, I don't know how common hotel thefts are, 
But you got to imagine like 99% of them happen when a, a, a cleaner goes into the room, sees like a priceless earring sitting on the, the desk and just kind of has a kleptomaniac urge and takes it. They're not like rummaging through all your luggage and looking in the pockets of, of your backpack to find stuff. I, 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 at least I don't think so. Yeah, I, I agree. I've always wondered because I've never used the safe either. If Honestly, like if I put my passport or something in the safe, I'm afraid I would forget that I put it there and leave the hotel exactly. without it, you know? But like, yeah, yeah I, I tend to follow the put stuff in your backpack or keep it on you. Like, I don't know. I I guess people also don't like walking around, uh, you know, places they don't know well with stuff on them. So, again, it comes down to, it comes down to just not having so many valuables honestly if a thief is willing to come into my hotel room rummage through my suitcase unzip the like the inner pocket and find my passport credit to them they're welcome to have it you know what good for you gotta respect it right it's it's interesting that to think like i i just i'm not a paranoid person i guess and i've i've had i've been in sketchy situations i i i'm fortunate to have I have to say I've never been mugged abroad. Not yet. So maybe if that happened, it would change my perspective, and it probably would. But I'm I'm not a paranoid kind of person. You know, I'm not a germaphobe. I'm not somebody that's constantly worried about locking the door of my house. I just don't live on the edge of, like, anxiety like that. And so having to, like, consciously be always thinking about what my valuables are doing in the hotel room is just something that I don't. It doesn't even cross my mind, to be honest. All right, Tim, self-admittedly, does not live on the edge. And with that, we'll go into our next article. Well, less of an article and more of a subject. Uh, We're talking about Ukraine, but as it's an evolving situation, uh, we're not going to get too much into the details of what's happening on the ground right now because in four or five days when this goes live, that could be very different. So we're going to talk about how to help people in Ukraine because that, unfortunately, is going to be an issue for quite some time. Uh, Matador did publish an article recently, uh, How to Help People in Ukraine, with some links that might be helpful. We have links to UNICEF, providing life-saving support for the 7.5 million children in Ukraine. You can donate to pay for workers to provide health care and assistance. You can donate to Care International to provide food, hygiene kits, psychological support with the goal of helping 4 million people in Ukraine, mostly women, children, the elderly. Uh, we've got we've got quite a few links here. Let's go over a few more. Sunflower of Peace is a nonprofit raising money for first aid backpacks for medical personnel. UN Refugee Agency, a humanitarian branch of the UN that helps refugees fleeing Ukraine. This is probably going to be one of the biggest issues, as well as other parts of the world at war, including Afghanistan and Yemen. And... Finally, we have United Help Ukraine. This group helps to engage media and politicians in the United States to help those in Ukraine. Also helps distribute contributed food donations and medical help to refugees and people fighting. All useful links to keep in mind as, unfortunately, the fighting continues and the refugee crisis expands. So we'll drop the link to this article, which contains all of those links uh, in the show notes. So check that out and donate and do what you can. All right. Thanks for listening to No Blackout Dates. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us, of course, a five-star review. 
And if for some reason you want to follow what we're up to, I'm Flow underscore on Instagram, and he's TimWinger1. Also, a big shout out and thanks to our producer, Alex Halkey, executive producer, Katie Hetrick, our email marketing guru, Kelsey Wilking, the Matador social crew, and everyone else on the team who puts up with us on a daily basis. We'll see you guys next week.